Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. The Peter Schiff Show. Thanks to Bambi for supporting my podcast. You know, HR managers ain't cheap. Salaries average $70,000 a year. So go to Bambi.com slash gold to schedule your free HR audit. Well, today we got the conclusion of the two-day Federal Open Market Committee meeting. And so at two o'clock, we got the official decision on interest rates, their official statement on monetary policy, and the Jerome Powell press conference that followed a half hour later. And I am going to talk extensively about that statement and that press conference, particularly the Q&A. But first, I want to set a bit of a backdrop by going over some of the inflation data that actually came out earlier this morning before the statement and the press conference. And that was data on import and export prices. Now, first of all, these import-export prices are far more reflective of what's actually happening to prices than, let's say, the official government measures like the CPI. And the reason that these prices are more accurate is because they're not all manipulated. Because when you have a basket like the CPI, the basket changes. The government is very subjective about what goes in there and what comes out. They have substitutions. They have hedonics where they try to interpose a judgment call as to whether or not the quality of a product went up or down. And if the quality went up, they adjust the prices down. So it's not a consistent measure by design, right? So you are understating the true increase in the cost of living. The index wasn't nearly as bad back in the 1970s. And that's why we had double digit readings because we had a more honest way of measuring prices. Now we have a very dishonest way, deliberately by design. And so the real increase that Americans are experiencing is far greater than what is being revealed in these numbers. But the import-export prices 
are more real because it's not a basket. They're actually looking at the prices of the stuff we export and seeing what they are. And then they're looking at the prices of the stuff we import and seeing what those prices are. So this is real. This is indicative of the pain uh, that consumers are experiencing at cash registers, you know, not only around the country, but obviously around the world too. Americans are not the only ones being affected, but I think we are being affected far more profoundly than most other countries. And that's only going to get worse. But let's look at these numbers. These are the May numbers. So the increase in import prices for the month of May was supposed to be 0.7%. And that was supposed to equal what was originally reported as a 0.7% increase for April. Well, the April increase was revised up to 0.8, and the actual increase for May was 1.1%. That is even above the high end of the estimated consensus range, which went from a low of 0.3 to a high of up 0.1. We were up 1.1. So beat the upper end of expectations and revised up the prior month. Now look at the year-over-year number for import prices. As of last month, that number was 10.6%. It was expected to rise to 11, but it rose to 11.3 following an increase to 10.8 in the prior month. So year-over-year, Americans are seeing 11.3% higher prices than what they were looking at a year ago. Now, I know a lot of people want to dismiss this by saying, hey, it's all the base effect because we're comparing prices today to where they were a year ago in May. And that was, you know, in the depths of the pandemic. Okay, I get that. You want to dismiss it based on the base effect. Well, then how do you dismiss a 1.1% increase in the month of May? Because the base for May is April. We weren't in the pandemic for April. We were way out of it and reopening. So the fact that you're still seeing these huge increases on a month-over-month basis, you can't simply dismiss it and attribute it to a base effect from something that happened a year ago. But the numbers for exports are actually worse than the numbers for imports. And of course, remember, we import a whole hell of a lot more than we export, right? We have a big trade deficit. So Americans feel the sting of the imports more than they get the benefit of the higher prices for what we export. But the export prices are telling a much more profound story than just what we're earning on what we're selling. But take a look at these numbers. So the month over month increase in export prices, right? This is the stuff we make here. And we export. The expectation was that the price would go up by 0.7%, which would have been an improvement on the 0.8% increase from the prior month. Well, the prior month ended up getting revised upward to 1.1%. The current month, May, came in at 2.2%, blowing away even the highest estimate. The consensus ranged from a low of an increase of 0.2 to a high of an increase of 0.8. 2.2% gain in one month, right? The Fed is saying they're targeting inflation of 2% for a year. We beat that in one month on the price of the stuff that we produced to export. And the year-over-year number is even worse. That number was 14.4% last month. 
It was expected to rise slightly to 14.6%. Instead, it jumped to 17.4%. Again, above the high range of expectations, which ranged from up 14.6% to up 15.3%. And in fact, the year-over-year number for the prior month, that also was revised up to 14.9%. These are shocking numbers. Of course, what's the most shocking is if you annualize the 2.2% increase from May, that gives you a 30% increase in export prices. Now, a lot of people might say, oh, who cares? I mean, this is the stuff we're exporting, so we don't have to pay those higher prices. That's the problem for our trading partners. They're dealing with these higher prices. Well, if it's costing us so much more to produce the stuff that we export, doesn't it stand to reason that it also costs us this much more to produce the stuff that we don't export and the stuff that we consume ourselves? Because most of the stuff that we export, we also consume. We are a major exporter of agricultural products. Well, don't we eat Right? We're just exporting our surplus food to the rest of the world. And if we have to charge the rest of the world so much more because it's costing us so much more to grow it, well, don't Americans have to deal with the same problem? Aren't we seeing the same cost rises? Of course we are. And of course, a lot of this is also services. We export services. Those services are getting increasingly more expensive to provide, not just the services that we export, but the services that we import. So this really reveals the real price increases that Americans are facing. And you know, the other part about this is because the prices for the stuff we make are rising so much faster than the stuff the rest of the world makes, right? That is showing you that inflation in America is a much bigger problem than it is in the rest of the world. And as inflation continues to drive up the cost of production in the United States, we then rely more and more on the rest of the world. Our economy is becoming increasingly less competitive because inflation is driving up our costs. So now we're going to end up importing even more stuff because we get a better deal on our imports than we get on our exports. Of course, these numbers don't even factor in the surging cost of actually importing those imports because that's transportation costs, which are skyrocketing, but they're not factored in here. These are just the prices of the stuff, not the cost of getting the stuff over here. So of course that has to be thrown into the mix. But as Americans become more and more dependent on foreign production, because our economy is increasingly less competitive due to inflation, that means our trade deficit gets bigger. That means the dollar keeps getting weaker. That means our inflation numbers keep getting stronger. So far from this inflation being transitory, this is the beginning. I mean, the only thing transitory about these prices is that they're getting worse. We're transitioning from bad inflation to horrible inflation, and the Fed is completely oblivious to what's going on. When you're running your business, HR issues can kill you. You've got wrongful termination suits, anti-discrimination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and those HR manager's salaries ain't cheap at an average of $70,000 a year. That's where Bambi comes in, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Bambi was created specifically for small business owners like us. You can get a dedicated HR manager who'll craft HR policy for you 
and maintain your compliance and do it all for just 99 bucks a month. And with Bamba, you can change your HR department from your biggest liability to one of your biggest strengths. Your dedicated HR manager will be available by phone, email, or for real-time chat for everything from onboarding to terminations. They customize your policies to fit your business, and they help you manage your employees day-to-day. And again, they do it all for just $99 a month. And it's month-to-month. There are no hidden fees and you can cancel anytime. So what do you got to lose? Just go to Bambi.com slash gold right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash gold, spelled B-A-M to the B-E-E dot com slash gold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And again, the problem here is that the Federal Reserve is artificially stimulating demand. It's creating fake demand by printing money. And now Americans are taking that money and spending it. And all that spending of printed money without a corresponding increase in production of goods and services is causing prices to go way up. See, there's only one real way to increase demand. And that's when you increase supply. Supply creates its own demand. If you want more demand, The first thing you need to do is increase the production of goods and services. As the supply of goods and services increases due to increased production, you have more stuff. Well, when you have more stuff to buy, the price of that stuff goes down. That's supply and demand. And as prices come down, well, more people can afford to buy. And that's how you get increased demand. Americans can buy more stuff when the price of the stuff is lower. That's supply and demand. Price goes down, demand goes up. But what the government is trying to do is increase demand just by printing money. But that doesn't work because you're not increasing the supply of goods and services to buy. You're just increasing the money with which to buy the existing supply of goods and services. So the only effect of that is rising prices. And that's exactly what we have. Prices are going up, not because the economy is reopening and not because of these bottlenecks in supply. The main reason that prices are going up is because the Federal Reserve is printing all of this money and will continue to print more. Now, with that backdrop, right, and what happened earlier in the morning and the stark evidence that the Fed is completely wrong about inflation and yet another number that dramatically increases expectations, we got the Federal Reserve statement and press conference. 
And as soon as that statement was released at two o'clock Eastern time, gold immediately tanked and the dollar shot up. The stock market went down. The bond market went down. Why did the market react the way it did to this statement? Well, apparently the statement was received as being hawkish, meaning that the Fed surprised the markets by being too tough on inflation, right? That the Fed is now going to take away the monetary punch bowl sooner than expected. And it is this so-called hawkish statement, right? A Fed that's going to get tough and fight inflation. That is what the markets reacted to. Complete nonsense. Let's actually take a look at the statement because really the only change that was made with respect to the Fed's acknowledgement of the big increases in prices that we've seen that have greatly exceeded expectations since the last FOMC meeting. Here's what they changed. So this is what the statement read last time. The committee seeks to achieve maximum employment and inflation at a rate of 2% over the long run. With inflation running persistently below this long-term goal, the committee will aim to achieve inflation moderately above 2% for some time so that inflation averages 2% over the long term and inflation expectations remain well anchored at 2%. Right? That was the last uh, statement. They modified it by simply crossing out the word running and replacing it with the words having run. So now it reads, with inflation having run persistently below this long-run goal, the committee will aim to achieve inflation moderately above 2%. So they simply acknowledged that inflation is no longer running persistently below 2%. I mean, it's, it's way above 2%. It's left 2% in the dust. You can't even see 2% looking back from how high we are right now. Yet all they acknowledged is that we're no longer running persistently below a number that we've blown through. This supposedly is hawkish. But I think what the market's really keyed in on, apparently, not this slight change of verbiage, but it was the dot plots. And these dot plots are basically where the FOMC members see interest rates in the future. And the last time they plotted these dots, they didn't see any rate hikes until 2024, which in and of itself is crazy, right? How the central bankers can sit back and think that there's not even going to be a rate hike, that we're going to stay at zero all the way until 2024. I mean, any projections made in 2021 about 2024 are worthless anyway. These guys don't know what's going to happen next week, let alone what's going to happen three years from now. But this all changed because now you have the majority, I think seven guys or something like that, see two rate hikes in 2023, right? This is still 2021. And I think there were some members that expect a rate hike in 2023, maybe the first rate hike in 2023. But I think the consensus opinion now is that we're going to get two rate hikes in 2023 instead of none, right? So those rate hikes are now going to take place in 2023, in theory, right? As opposed to 2024. And this tiny change, really an insignificant 
change in the scheme of things is supposedly what caused this big run in the dollar, this big sell-off in the price of gold, because now this hawkish Fed is going to raise interest rates in 2023 all the way up to one half of 1% to 75 basis points. Big deal. What difference is that going to make? Nothing. It's spitting in the ocean compared to inflation. How much higher is inflation likely to be in two years if the Fed stays at zero and doesn't even raise interest rates for the first time until 2023 and then only does it by 25 basis points? And of course, the entire time, the Fed's going to be monetizing all this government debt, nothing at all in the official statement about an acceleration of the taper timetable. So nothing that suggests that they're going to start tapering their expansion of their balance sheet, let alone stop expanding their balance sheet. Remember, tapering is just when you expand the balance sheet more slowly in the future than you've been expanding it in the past. But no word about that. The only indication is from these dot plots that we're going to get the first rate hikes, minimal rate hikes, in 2023 rather than 2024. Meanwhile, all of this surging prices, consumer prices, producer prices, import prices, export prices, all of this is completely ignored, all assumed to be no big deal, transitory. And just based on this, right, gold got clobbered, bonds got clobbered to an extent, stock market went down. Now, I expected some of these moves to be reversed once we had the press conference because I expected Powell to walk back these supposedly hawkish comments that were interpreted from the minutes. And that is exactly what he did. Powell was as dovish as he's ever been. Remember, I keep saying this, every press conference, he outdoves the previous conference. And again, he did not disappoint me This was the most dovish press conference I've ever seen him give, and I expect him to outdove himself again the next time he gives one. Yet despite everything that Powell did to walk back these dot plots that indicate that the Fed, oh my God, is going to raise interest rates slightly in a couple of years in the face of a mountain of inflation. I mean, you're talking about a juggernaut. This is a runaway freight train. You think you're going to derail that with 25, 50 basis point interest rates? You need Paul Volcker to go medieval on the bond market to do something about this inflation. He's not even close to doing that. But he did his best and the markets still don't get it. Even after this dovish conference, the markets continued to move and price in this hawkish Fed. In fact, the gold price which was down about 20, 30 bucks earlier in the day following the comments after the U.S. market closed, continue to sell off. As I'm recording this podcast about an hour after the close, we're now down about 50 bucks on the day. We're almost at 1800 even. We're about 1810 on the price of gold. Silver is down 71 cents, getting absolutely killed. The dollar index is up 86 as a result of this, 91.40. This is the highest it's been, I think, going back to late April, early May. So a big spike in the dollar. You know, we got a reversal in oil prices. Oil ended up down about 37 cents, $70.77. But earlier this morning, before this supposed hawkish FOMC, 
Oil was making a new high. We almost traded $72 a barrel this morning. We got to $71.99 on West Texas before we got this big reversal. And by the way, in terms of foreign currencies, oil prices still were up today. They were down in terms of dollars because the dollar was so strong. But if you're buying oil with euros or Australian dollars or Canadian dollars or Swiss francs, you saw a big price increase today, uh, not a price decrease. But all of this happening, despite what is a extremely dovish FOMC, dot plots notwithstanding. In fact, I mentioned on the last podcast that on CNBC last week, Paul Tudor Jones said that he was only about 20% invested. He was you know, 5% gold, 5% Bitcoin. I mean, that's a waste. And then he had a few other things on, but he was like 80% in cash. And he was waiting to see what the Fed was going to do. And if the Fed basically shrugged off and ignored these big increases in consumer prices, he was going to go all in on the inflation trade. Well, he got a gift because that's exactly what the Fed did. They completely dismissed everything that we've seen, yet the markets don't even get that. And the dollar went up anyway. Gold went down anyway. So he can actually go all in on his inflation trade at a better price than what he would have got yesterday had he got all in in front of the Fed because the Fed did exactly what I said they were going to do. I said on the podcast that I recorded yesterday that the Fed was going to be dovish, that the Fed was not going to indicate that they were going to raise rates. They were not going to indicate that they were going to taper, that Powell would be dovish because he has no choice but to be dovish. He has no choice but to ignore surging inflation because there's nothing the Fed could do about it. So if they can't do anything about it, all they can do is pretend that it's not a problem because they know they can't solve it. So Bernanke behaved exactly the way I expected him to behave, yet the markets did not. See, these markets are completely and totally irrational, right? They make no sense. Look at the yields, 10-year treasuries, even though they were up today, they're below 1.6%, 1.57. In what world, in what bizarro version of reality is a U.S. Treasury, 10-year Treasury, yielding 1.7% where we're printing inflation numbers in the double digits like I just went over on import-export prices. None of that makes sense. You know, in fact, the yield curve actually widened quite a bit today because while the yield on the 10-year was up 70 basis points, the yield on the 30-year was only up 10 basis points because I guess the markets are factoring in an economic slowdown caused by tight monetary policy. Somehow accelerating a couple of tiny rate hikes from 2024 to 2023 constitutes tight policy and the market is already bracing for recession. Imagine what the markets would be doing if they actually had to brace for tight monetary policy. Not this mamby-pamby phony version of it. What if we actually had Paul Volcker, uh, you know, tightening monetary policy? Imagine what would happen all hell would be breaking loose. And that is exactly what is going to happen when markets are repriced for reality instead of fantasy, which is what they're priced for now. And it's not just the bond market that's priced for fantasy. It's meme stocks. It's cryptocurrencies. Everything. I mean, everything is priced for a fantasy, not reality. It very much reminds me of the environment in the financial market leading up to the 2008 financial crisis. And back then, the assets that in my mind were clearly mispriced were mortgages, particularly subprime mortgages, and the financial institutions 
that held those mortgages, guaranteed those mortgages, right, insured them, originated them. That's where I saw the biggest mispricing in the market. And that mispricing continued for years until finally reality set in and the markets imploded in the massive collapse, which became to be known as the financial crisis of 2008, followed by the Great Recession. Now, the number of assets that are mispriced today far exceeds the number of assets that were mispriced back then. And I think they are mispriced by an even wider margin. And what this means is that at some point in the future, and I don't think it is the distant future, it is the near future. And again, that doesn't mean tomorrow, but it's going to happen soon, I believe. Reality is going to have to rear its ugly head just like it did in 2008. And all of these mispriced assets are going to be repriced to reality. But because there's so many of them this time and they're mispriced by so much greater a degree, all hell will break loose and you need to be positioned properly before this happened. Because when it does, nothing that happened in the past is going to matter. None of your paper gains are going to matter. None of your paper losses. Everything is going to change. And if you are positioned right, if you're positioned all in on the inflation trade, which is the trade that Paul Tudor Jones claims he's going to go all in on, if you're all in on that, I think you're going to make a killing. I think you'll make a bigger killing than people who are all in on the subprime short because this is an even bigger mispricing. It's even more widespread. And I think the payoff to the people who are on the right side of this is going to be even more spectacular. And conversely, the people who are on the wrong side, their losses will be that much more spectacular. And unlike what happened following 2008, there will be no bailouts because the government can't bail anybody out when you have a dollar crisis because all they can do to bail you out is give you dollars. But if the dollar is collapsing, if the dollar doesn't have much value, then neither do the bailouts. In fact, it's not just hedge fund guys like Paul Tudor Jones who don't buy into the inflation as transitory fairy tale. Look what Jamie Dimon recently said. JP Morgan is stockpiling cash because they are of the opinion that inflation is not transitory, which shows how little they actually understand inflation. Because if you really believed that there was going to be pernicious inflation, that it wasn't transitory, the last thing you'd want to stockpile is cash. You'd want to stockpile gold. You'd want to hedge against inflation. You don't have any kind of hedge when you have cash because cash is what's being inflated. Cash is what's losing purchasing power. Of course, the reason that JP Morgan wants to stockpile cash is because they actually expect the Fed to react to non-transitory inflation by dramatically increasing interest rates. And so they expect asset prices to collapse, including gold, as the Fed fights inflation. And so they want to have cash. They still don't get that the Fed can't fight inflation, that the Fed is going to surrender without a fight, and that inflation is going to win and their cash is going to lose. But anyway, let me get back to the press conference that followed this statement that should have reversed course for uh, the gold market and for the dollar, but for some reason increased the conviction that we've got some kind of hawkish Fed. So number one, when Powell first steps up to the microphone for the conference, which by the way, they're still not doing in person, right? Because of COVID, they still can't have these meetings live. But the first thing he says 
is how strong the U.S. economy is. He talks about this booming economy, strongest it's been in years, and we've got this great economy. And then he points out how the Fed is being aggressive in its monetary support for the economy and for the recovery, which immediately has to raise the question, which, of course, nobody actually asked during this press conference. But, you know, I asked it on Twitter. But, you know, I'm not at these press conferences. Fortunately, I guess for Powell, he doesn't have to deal with questions from people like me. He just gets these softball questions uh, from these reporters and who don't even follow up when the questions they ask, you know, aren't even answers, right? He doesn't even hit these softballs. He whiffs them. And then he goes on to uh, the next question. But the obvious question is, okay, Mr. Powell, if the U.S. economy is really as strong as you claim it is, then why does it need so much monetary support? Riddle me that, Batman, right? Nobody asked that question because, of course, if we really had a strong economy, the Fed wouldn't have to support it. The fact that the Fed is still delivering so much support to this economy proves that the Fed realizes how fragile it is, how weak it is, and that's why it continues to baffle or confound the markets Uh, by providing all this support that everybody just assumes is not needed because they don't understand the situation. Again, the analogy I keep using is you go to visit your friend at the hospital and the doctor tells you, oh, the, the guy's doing great. I've never seen somebody this healthy. Meanwhile, you know, he's got all these tubes in every part of his body. He can't breathe on his own. He needs a tube. He can't eat. He's eating, you know, intravenously through tubes, right? He's, you know, and it's like, how can he be so healthy if all this artificial support systems are needed to keep them alive, right? Clearly, the Fed's policy does not match its diagnosis of the patient. But anyway, so let's go forward, though, to the Q&A, because that's where he went, you know, to Super Dove, right? And that's where he tried to do damage control from any perception that the Fed was going to do anything sooner than it had previously indicated, dot plots be damned. Right. In fact, one of the questions that he was asked specifically related to these dot plots, which, again, are so meaningless because the tiny increases in interest rates that they contemplate so far into the future are irrelevant and simply show that the Fed is asleep at the switch because it's allowing all this inflation and is doing nothing about it. And so he was asked about these dot plots. And Powell said, oh, just ignore those dots, right? They're meaningless. They don't even matter anyway. So I don't even know why we have them because they're irrelevant. And then he said, because we haven't actually had any discussions yet. Like we haven't talked about inflation. We haven't talked about all these prices that have shot up by way more than we expected. And he even acknowledges that the price increases were greater than expected, but they haven't discussed it. They haven't discussed altering monetary policy. They haven't discussed, hey, maybe our monetary policy has something to do with this unanticipated, higher than expected increase in prices. They haven't talked about whether or not they should adjust the policy in light of this unexpected incoming data that doesn't completely jive with their expectations. No, they haven't had any discussions at all because according to Fed Chairman Powell, to have any discussions about altering monetary policy at this early stage would be premature. So don't worry. We're not even discussing because we're still not thinking about thinking about thinking about raising interest rates despite the dot plots because they're irrelevant. So don't worry about it. You know, 
we're not worried about anything. This was one of the most dovish statements he could have possibly said. How can they not even be discussing it? How can they regard a discussion of this ultra-easy, unprecedented monetary policy in the face of soaring prices that are gaining much quicker than expected and say, you know, it's premature. How long have interest rates been at zero? The economy supposedly is booming, which Powell claimed it's booming at the beginning of his press conference. We've got this booming economy, according to Powell, but we've got interest rates at zero. We got massive QE, massive deficit spending, prices surging. And according to Powell, it's too early. It's premature to even discuss changing monetary policy. So that right there should have sent the dollar tanking and gold rising. But of course, no, because so few people actually understand uh, what they're listening to. Because again, the markets don't reflect reality. They're just trading, right? People have algorithms in there. People are oblivious. They have words in programs. And again, it's just like the meme stocks or cryptocurrency. Markets are on autopilot based on ridiculous programs. You know, garbage in, garbage out. That's what's going on. But we have a collision course coming with reality. And as I said earlier, all hell will break loose when that collision finally happens. So let me get to some of the particular questions. So one person asked Powell about the fact that over the last three months, the annualized gain in the CPI, if you take the last three months and annualize it, it's 8.4%. And so he was asked, I mean, are you concerned about that? Are you worried about that? And Powell basically said, no, absolutely not. Because, you know, when you look beneath the headlines, you'll see that all of these price increases are related to the reopening of the economy and therefore they're transitory and so that we can completely ignore them because you know once the economy is finally open, things are going to go back to normal. Now, A, how does he know that? How does he know that these price increases are solely related to the economy reopening and have absolutely nothing to do with how it's reopening or why it reopened, meaning his monetary policy, that somehow unprecedented money printing, massive money printing, like we've never seen before in this country, huge deficit spending like we've never seen, a mass exodus of people from the workforce like we've never seen, trade deficits like we've never seen, and somehow none of this is a factor in what we're seeing in prices. And so it's completely explainable by the reopening. And also we know for a fact that once we open, all of this is going to be reversed and we've got nothing to worry about. Again, this should reinforce the idea that the Fed has not changed its policy one iota based on all of this data that completely contradicts their narrative. The numbers are much, much higher than what the Fed had anticipated, yet they're still willing to dismiss them as transitory and solely related to the reopening. In fact, there was another reporter who asked Powell, hey, you know, is it possible, like, what if we do get an increase in inflation that's not transitory and that it's unrelated to the reopening of the economy? What in particular could cause that, right? That was an actual good question, right? Somebody asked Powell, what might cause a non-transitory rise in inflation, one that is not simply related to the reopening. Now, of course, the answers are very obvious, right? It's the Fed. It's 
keeping interest rates too low for too long. It's printing all this money. It's massive deficit spending by the U.S. government, right? It's a weakening dollar. It's exploding trade deficits. There are a lot of factors that would cause a non-transitory rise in prices unrelated to the reopening, yet Powell couldn't come up with one thing. He did not answer that question. He did not give her one example of something that might cause a permanent increase in inflation. Now, either it's because he doesn't know it and he has absolutely no understanding of what inflation is or what causes it, or he's so afraid to admit the truth that he doesn't want to answer the question. But the lady who answered the question, she seemed totally you know, content that Powell completely sidestepped it and didn't give her an answer. But the one thing that he did do, and he mentioned this a couple of times, and this is what he is kind of falling back on. This is why he's so confident that inflation is not going to pick up. And in fact, there was another person that specifically asked him, hey, how could you be so sure, right? How are you so confident that what we're seeing is transitory? And so what Powell said is, well, you know, we've had these other factors over the past 25 years that have been working to restrain inflation. We've had these deflationary factors, globalization, you know, costs going down, you know, China, all these things have been happening over the past 25 years that have kept inflation in check. And as far as Powell is concerned, well, there's no reason that what we've seen over the last 25 years won't just continue, I guess, for another 25 years. So he is relying, he is banking on those disinflationary forces that were around for 25 years to return magically, uninterrupted, unaffected by anything the Fed has done recently. But I would suggest that those factors are transitory or were transitory. That's where the word transitory applies. For a period of time, which clearly is longer than I anticipated, you had these factors that were suppressing inflation. But all of those inflation chickens are now finally coming home to roost and we're just getting started. And it's going to be very crowded in this hen house because there's a lot of chickens out there and they're just starting their journey home. Actually, I guess a more appropriate bird for this analogy would be doves, but I'm not even sure if they roost. But this massive increase in deficit spending, debt and inflation, massive money supply is going to put too much pressure on the dollar too much pressure on our trading partners, and everything is going to break. And the fact that Powell can't recognize this change, that we really can't count on Japan and China and Saudi Arabia and the rest of the world to keep loaning us all this money, also his not getting the fact that the Social Security surpluses are now deficits, so the government can no longer rely on the Social Security quote-unquote trust funds. It can't raid those trust funds to finance its deficits. That the only buyer left is the Fed, and the balance sheet is already $8 trillion and rising, and we're already at rock bottom at the lower bound of 0%. All of these factors that have changed have profoundly changed this game. So what Powell is relying on to keep inflation in check, that's not there anymore. Inflation is completely unchecked and either Powell is too incompetent to recognize it or he does recognize it, but he's scared out of the daylights to admit it. So he's going to continue to deny it for as long as he possibly can get away with it. 